Discretion is advised. This is the Cul-de-Sac Insomniac, and I'm Ophelia. And I'm Tori, and we're going to keep you up all night. Tori. Hi, Ophelia. How you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So you've probably heard by now that scientists created some little mini robots, biological robots that can now reproduce. Great. Yeah. No, that's what we need is, you know, replicants or whatever the hell. Yeah. And we have people teaching apes to talk Mm -hmm. and some scientists who are trying to resurrect the woolly mammoths and can't Poss- imagine how that story is going to possibly end. dinosaurs. Yeah, no. bring it, but so um, I think science should just take a few days off. Just I think that there are a lot of things they could focus on. Yeah, you know, how about that cancer? Right, and just like not the scariest shit imaginable. <laughs> just you know what I mean? Not just literal nightmare fuel. You can do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Doesn't, Doesn't mean, mean you, you should. should do it. Yeah, I fully agree with that. <laughs> But work on Alzheimer's. That would be really cool. And not woolly mammoths. I realize it's probably different people, but Definitely. take that money and resources and give it to the Alzheimer's people because mm-hmm. the woolly mammoth people, frankly, don't need it. Right. Because I think what's really happened, right, is the generation of kids that grew up loving dinosaurs and watching Jurassic Park are now adults with jobs. And yeah. they're like, you know, it would be fun. It would be Jurassic so cool. Park. And yeah. not, Devastating not go anyway. horribly wrong. So... Are you ready to hear some scary stories? No. Okay. I'm literally never ready for it, All but right. uh, you're going to tell me anyway. Thanks for coming by. Of course, anytime. See you you later. served clam chowder, so it was worth it. <laughs> yeah, we had clam chowder. Oh, and we had those King's Hawaiian sweet rolls, which I is love the them. best bread in the whole world. They're so good. Because I forgot to buy oyster crackers for the soup, so I had those. But you know what? That was good. It was really good. I don't Definitely really get oyster crackers. I really don't get. Really, I love oyster. Like, I will just like have I like them, snack. but I don't get it. Like, why are they called? Why are they called that? I, I guess. have no so idea. I don't understand. That's not information I'm supposed to have. You know. That's true. Not my business. Yeah. So I want to talk about scary stuff. Okay. All right. Hit me with it. I want to talk about haunted Hollywood. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah, because I don't want to do. I've I've been doing some very. Mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. Yeah, I don't. Mm-hmm, I want to mm-hmm. unboggle my mind, and yes. I do that with ghosts. Finally, ghosts are easy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So apparently, Hollywood is just loaded with it. Like they're everywhere, that and, makes sense. and it's it's weird too because in some of these stories, people are talking about apparitions they've seen and it's like someone either they knew or it's someone famous and I always oh, feel like weird. it's gonna be weird like if yeah. you know a ghost right just like generic ghost is one thing but like hey no I where you used to be friends you know like on the sim someone dies and then the ghost is still like your around friend. yeah yeah and they still call and they still so that's happy birthday yeah yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> but <they're a> ghost. <laughs> yeah so 
that's kind of like, I think it's got to be weird to know a ghost. Like, I have a friend who's a ghost, my friend the ghost. Yeah, that'd be very weird. That is weird. Mm-hmm. I know. I'm not a fan. No, me either. But, Shockingly. Well, I'm a fan on the show. Mm, yes. Talking about ghosts. So, the comedy store, also known as Ciro's, the Sunset Strip um, has long been known as a playground of the stars, and some of the most famous people spent a lot of time in the clubs, um, along the strip. A very popular rendezvous, Ciro's, opened in 1940. So it's called the Comedy Store today. Mm -hmm. It's, um, so it's a comedy club. But once upon a time, it was a very famous place for, so that, well, it still is, but it yeah. was like a club, like a right. nightclub. Mm -hmm. So one night on his way out the back door, a com this comedian who also worked as a security guard named Blake Clark heard banging on the piano in the belly room. Terrifying. Which is a small venue on the second floor. Um, and some waitresses had reported earlier in the day like there were odd occurrences in there. Mm -hmm. Or they would talk from time to time about like getting pranked or something like that and um so like if one of the young women would open the room light the candle arrange the tables and leave she'd come back and find the candles out the lights off the door locked from oh, like the inside i'd be, or so, mad. I'd be I know. so angry if that happened like i have to do my job again again because of a because ghost. you you're for real this. yeah um and then when she'd come back with the key the door would be open and then the room set again mm -hmm. i find that that's that's weird. Because I sort of get, like, if you just have energy, just, like, yeah. fucking shit up. Yeah. Just yeah. knocking stuff over. But putting it back? That seems unusual. That requires some measure of dexterity. Yeah. It really, like, putting all the forks in the right fork spots and lighting a candle and stuff. That's I a mean, lot that means ghosts have some powers to... Sounds like it to me. ...do stuff. Sure does. Don't like that. No. So Clark rushed upstairs when he heard the piano, thinking someone got locked in. Mm -hmm. And they were banging on the piano to get his attention. Right. As soon as he unlocked the door, the noise stopped. He flipped on the light. No one was in the room. He checked right. the corners, doors, everything. Nobody there. Locked up. As he turned to leave, he heard it again. Someone deliberately banging on the keys of the piano. Terrifying. So this happened to him on a number of occasions. Mm. I know one way to stop it from happening on a number of occasions. Yes. That'll be the last occasion I was in your building. Absolutely. There was never anyone to be seen in the room, just a playful spirit having a laugh. Another night, Blake made the final rounds in the large showroom, which was, it had been like the main room of Ciro's. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. He went to lock up, but stopped in his tracks. A chair on one end of the stage began to slide across nope. to the other nope. side of the stage. I am just, no, I'm out of there. I'm no. fully booking it. You will never see me again. No. That is terrifying. He stood frozen, watching as the chair glided effortlessly three feet, 10 feet, 20 feet, and in a flash, he found his feet and he got out of there. Which yes. A chair goes 20 feet before you hit the ground running. It goes six inches. Bye. No, that is just, that's too creepy. Just, I'm just gone. And then on another night, he went to the rear of the empty stage to turn off the lights. Seconds later, he turned around to find 40 chairs silently piled center stage 10 feet away from him. Okay, so just before you move on to another story, yeah. I have a very similar thing oh, to that piano oh, thing. Um, so I was like probably like 12 or 13 years old or something, and me and mm -hmm. my family were on vacation. And we were in, I think, like St. Thomas or something, and there was just straight up an abandoned resort. 
like just a big huge hotel that either they like didn't finish or like had been abandoned that whatever. That you were at? That we, we weren't staying there but we were just like walking on the beach and we were like oh look a hotel that no one's in. It's really bizarre. Um, but we went in and we're like walking around and then all of a sudden I hear a piano being played. Uh, I've never been so scared in my entire life. Like I literally What did your parents do? Oh my do? god. It was my stepmom playing a baby grand piano that they had just left in the abandoned hotel. Oh. I was literally like I, I've never been so terrified. But yeah, not a ghost. Not a ghost. Just my stepmom playing the piano to absolutely terrify me. Yeah, so there's there's two <sighs> things we're not going to do in an abandoned hotel. Well, why would you just leave? Like, those are not cheap. Okay, yes, they're heavy. But like, the, you know, it's odd. <laughs> but I mean, we're, we're not going to slip out of sight and play a baby grand piano. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're not going to sing a creepy lullaby into the PA system. No, you really shouldn't. We're not going to do any of those things. Not recommended. The Hollywood Reporter, LA Weekly Offices. In 1936, Billy Wilkerson created a beautiful office for his newspaper, The Hollywood Reporter, on Sunset Boulevard. Okay, good. This seems like a really great story. Yeah. Nothing bad's going to happen. And that's the story. Great. I love it. You know how I feel about architecture. <laughs> The reporter is where Wilkinson put his blood and sweat where his heart was and where it remains. Though he died in 1962, a remodeling of his former offices seems to have the maestro editor pacing the halls again. Great. Love that. Poor guy. The reporter moved to larger quarters in 1992. The following year, another paper, the LA Weekly, took over the space. But before they moved in, construction worker Jerry Brake worked on the building's seismic upgrading. Mm-hmm. Everything was demolished, save Wilkerson's office upstairs. During that's the const- weird. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, but that's just a weird thing to do. Just well. Yeah. It was I, seismically perfect. Everything else needed to be changed. Except, that is one office. that office. <laughs> like, it seems odd. Maybe they just changed everything around it. And yeah, I guess. Did, but, I mean, how do you demolish? Maybe they just meant they demolished the fixtures. That is weird, It must though. have just, yeah. I mean, they could have gone, like, all the way down to studs, but just been like, but no, this is a perfect representation of 1930 whatever. I don't know. Seems well, maybe, yeah, maybe whoever was taking it over wanted right. because he was a newspaper guy, wanted right. it, preserved it. The original. There's got to be more to the story. but Yeah. During construction, Brake was often in the building alone. On occasion, at his desk, he caught a movement out of the corner of his eye, a flash of someone passing his door. And then he ran away. That's happened to me. That used to happen to me at our old house. Mm -hmm. And just periodically see it kind of out of the corner of your eye. And so one day I was in bed watching TV, but all the lights were out. And I saw a white shadow pass like right across my closet door. That's terrifying. I hate that so much. And it like blocked out the clothes behind it and it was kind of Oh, that's really scary. Yeah. That's really scary. Yeah. See, yeah, my office has like phantom typing. Like it'll just be like me and one other person sitting right next to each other and you can hear typing from like the back of the office. And I know neither of us are typing because we're just talking shit because no one else is there, obviously. Like this is not, you know what I mean? That used to happen to me at my last (sighs) place I worked. If I stayed late sometimes, like on on a certain day, like for payroll that, which is what I used to do years ago, um, I would be stay late one night. Yeah. If we were running late on our deadline right. and I'd be leaving and I would hear typing somewhere yeah. in that office and I yeah. couldn't figure out where and I didn't stay to look. Right. Yeah. But it was like over cubes, like the lights were out and right, they were exactly. motion sensors, so people weren't there. Right. Exactly. Like I know, like I 
only like 20 people work in my office. And like everybody said, like, you know when nobody's there. You can look out in the parking lot and see, oh, look, it's just my car and somebody else. Like, I know who's in there. But you can hear typing. And I hate that so much. Yeah. That it, mm, I, no, if I were to see something, though, I'm out of there. Bye-bye. Do you think there's something there? I don't want to know about it, if there is. Okay. Do other people have experiences? Yeah, everybody hears the typing. Like, the, everyone knows that there's typing noises, even though there's no one there. I wonder if typing. it could come from the heating system or something. It could, except how come, I don't know, it just, I, did, I, I know how the heating system sounds, <laughs> and it doesn't sound like a heat. I'm an architect, I know how they work, and <laughs> we don't have typists inside our heating system. Generally speaking, no. It's not up to code. No. I don't want to see shadows, though. That's too no. creepy. Most of the time, he dismissed it as some trick of the light. Then late one night, when Brake was alone in his office, he distinctly felt something tap him on the back. Barf. Also happened to me when I was alone in the bakery. Dude, you gotta just not have this shit happen. This is too much shit. Many, many years ago, I was in there early, about 4.30 a.m., mm-hmm. getting stuff ready as all by myself, and I felt just a tap on the shoulder, and I turned around thinking someone was there, obviously, because I got tapped on the shoulder. Right. Thinking that. So, again, my conclusion is there's just the every inch of the earth is haunted. It's just spook central everywhere. I think so. And we're so busy in our lives and there's so much going on that most of the time I think they just can't make themselves known. Yeah, that's But I just true. think they're just everywhere. And as creepy as possible. Yeah. Because what other way is there? You know, let's do that old prank where you tap someone on the other shoulder <laughs> and it doesn't matter with shoulder because you're invisible. <laughs> He jerked around, but nothing was there. He stepped out of the office and took a look down the hallway. Nothing. He walked past a room to the left of his office and saw a figure in the corner. He looked past it to a mirror that stood in front of them both, but Brake saw only one reflection, his own. He looked back at the figure, and it was gone. A few days later... Because you're still going there, apparently. I don't know. I would just be screaming forever. <laughs> I would never stop screaming. Because it's either a vampire or a ghost, right? Yeah. Like, now that it's you, you have that good. information. It's yeah. nothing good. Oh, I hate that so much. At 5.30 a.m., Brake was alone when he heard a noise and followed it the length of the front hall toward the stairs. Incorrect. <laughs> he clearly heard footsteps walking in front of him the whole way. Right. Brake ran after the footsteps... Once again. For some reason. Incorrect. None of these things are the right thing. Well, he's an investigative reporter. He's a newspaper guy, so he's got to get the story. As he came around the corner, he could almost see a figure, but the lighting was bad. He checked the whole building. He was alone. As the remodeling progressed, even the grand staircase was removed, leaving an elevator as the only access to the second floor. Well, that's no, illegal. Abort. That's abort. illegal. First abort. of all, that is so stupid. Yeah. That's, like, number one way to get dead. Like, that's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It was the 90s. Oh, my goodness. Late one night, architect Ted Powell was in Wilkerson's office with a woman from the LA Weekly. Alone in the building, the pair heard what sounded like a broom handle on the ceiling directly under them. Boom, boom, boom. Well, shut up. Your downstairs neighbors don't like you. That one's pretty easy to solve. Just because we don't have downstairs neighbors (laughs) is neither here nor there. No easy feat as the ceiling was nine feet high. I mean, a broom handle. I wouldn't say that's like outrageous. Elevator down, but found no one. Great. Just as they were satisfied that it was nothing, they heard footsteps above them in Wilkerson's office. They left immediately. Okay. The only people in the story who knew what to do. Two people doing the right thing, aka getting the hell out of there. Leaving immediately, noping the fuck out of there. Oh my god, I hate that so much. The Hollywood sign. 
also haunted. Hmm, shocking. The famous Hollywood sign in Griffith Park at the eastern edge of the Hollywood Hills is said to be haunted by the ghost of a struggling young actress, Peg Entwistle, who committed suicide by leaping to her death from the top of the H oh, in 1932. That's really sad. Just before the release of 13 Women, which marked her only film role. Wow. That's really depressing. So I remembered this story, and what happened was she had been told all her scenes ended up getting but, cut out of the film. Hmm. So nighttime visitors to Griffith Park sometimes say they see visions of a woman in 1930s-era clothing roaming the trails around the sign or plummeting from the top and then vanishing before she hits the ground. Yikes. But sadly, Peg Entwistle was mistaken. Her scenes did end up in the film. Hmm. I mean, either way, sad. Either, like, no, either way, but that's extra if that double was set, like, yeah. obviously there were other things going on, but if right. that was the straw that broke the camel's right. back and it wasn't even true. true yeah. You know, maybe she would have rebounded from that if, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes people make these decisions in a split second and right. I don't know if they would always make them all the time or if right. they had that moment back. Yeah. If things would change. I think they say that a lot about a lot of people. Like they like ask people who survived jumping off like Golden Gate Bridge and stuff. And they say like halfway down, they change their mind. Like most of the time, which yeah. is just so, so, so I don't sad. know, you know, if we believe in mediums or not. I go mm-hmm. back and forth, but mediums have claimed whenever they talk to suicide victims, they would be like, if I could go back and, and not yeah. do it, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. I don't know why I did it. And mm. I have that talk with my kids. If you ever just hold on one more one more day, yeah, one more day, and yeah. we can, you know, we can do something. Mm-hmm. If you're here, we can do something. Right. Yeah. Yeah add that to my list of many fears that I have. Yes, it's a big one, I <laughs> That is say. a big one. Yeah. The Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel, located at 7000 Hollywood Boulevard, figures in many ghost tales. The 12-story hotel opened on May 15, 1927, and has been a center of Hollywood life since, including hosting the first Oscars in 1929. Ooh. Marilyn Monroe had a long association with the Roosevelt. She posed for her first print ad, a toothpaste spot on the diving board of the hotel pool. Ghostly guests have also been reported to swim in the pool. Oh, what if you're swimming <gasps> in the pool and a ghost swims in the pool? Oh, that's too creepy. That's uh, too creepy. No, 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 no. See, that I don't even and they really. Brush up against no, you, like, that's the thing. The... I don't even really like to swim in like lakes and stuff. Yeah, because the like not seaweed, obviously, because it's a lake. But like that shit that touches your feet or your le- no, that creeps me out. Plus, too much. also, it's slimy. Right, the bottoms are slimy. They're slimy and gross. And I think the last time I was ever in a lake, plus they have the, that's where the brain-eating amoeba. Exactly. Are. Ex- good point. Forgot about, about Pam. Number two. Mm-hmm. And another time I was in a lake, and I know we talked about this, and a fish brushed by my. I hate that so much. I hate that so I'm, much. I'm afraid of birds too. Like, I don't like when birds people have are picky pet as well. Birds, pet birds. Uh, you know what I think it is. It's the outdoors. That's what freaks me out, actually, now that we've talked through all this stuff. Bugs, I'm anti-bug. My son used to be afraid of butterflies. He thought they were trying to fight him when he was little. He can run in a What if he's right? It's because of SpongeBob. Probably. Oh, right, right. I think you're right. He'd be coming like, no, the butterfly's trying to fight me. Not even chase him, just trying to fight him. Poor John. My back, he's a butterfly. Honestly, yeah. I I think that any of us could take a butterfly. I don't know. I'm not sure I could. No, I can't take a bee. Oh, hell no. No, 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 no. no. Definitely not a wasp. No. Hornets. Oh, I didn't even tell you this. Over the summer, he was out playing basketball in the yard, and the hornets made a nest in the ground right oh, by yeah. his hoop, mm-hmm. and he stepped on it, and he got 
several stings. So That's awful. That happened to Jacob's mom. She had like a hornet's nest living in her trash can. And they were like, they would literally like flock around her back door. She wouldn't use the back door, wouldn't go in the backyard, only went out the front door. She was literally terrorized. It's awful. They suck. Yeah. I hate the outdoors. They do su- and they don't even like make honey. Like, what, do you, no. what do they do? They're I don't just, know. I don't think that they do assholes. anything positive. I think that they're just dicks. Fuck around. Yeah. Yeah. They just <laughs> fuck around. Courtney, you are correct. Yes, <laughs> they do. Just here to fuck some shit up. Literally. Not surprisingly, the Roosevelt's Tropicana Pool, with a recently restored mural by artist David Hockney, is buzzy with spirit energy, according to Patty Negri, who is the psychic medium to the stars. Oh, well, good for her. As Monroe's career took off, she often stayed in a second-floor cabana at the Roosevelt overlooking the pool. The hotel provided Marilyn a tall, dark wood-framed full-length mirror, which after her death was moved to the manager's office. Weird. Uh, Uh Uh-oh. You know, mirrors, they're just problematic. No, here we go again. (laughs) The mirror. A hotel maid was dusting the mirror and saw the reflection of a sad-looking blonde woman. Like behind her. Of course. I was actually going to say seeing something in real life but not in a mirror is scary. But I do think seeing something in in a mirror and not in real life is scarier. No, it was terrifying. So great. The maid turned to ask if she could help, but there was no one there. Quit. There never is, hon. No. There never is. Mm -mm. Monroe is called. Then how do you how do you look in a mirror ever again? I don't know how you do anything ever again. I mean, I don't really care looking mirrors too much anyway. Basically avoid it, but still. Yeah. Anyway, Monroe is called the hardest working ghost in Hollywood as her spirit has also been reported around her former home in Brentwood. She also supposedly appears in mirror reflections, mirror reflections at the carousel on Santa Monica Pier, where she used to go in disguise to watch families at play. That's so sad. That is sad. First, she's doing ghost work. Now, also, even when she was alive, she just wanted to see happy families. Oh. That's... Mm. And now her she's story just, is so sad. Yeah, her that story It is. just gets sadder every single yeah. time you hear something about it. She sort of reminds me of Princess Diana. Like, I feel like mm. Princess Diana had a sad story like that. Definitely like, very sad. Yeah. Just starting from she was young and mm-hmm. you were just a means to an end of this whole family. And yeah. Just all she wanted. At least she had her kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's all she wanted. Just be a mom. Yeah. Be happy. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Hmm. I keep getting off track. <laughs> We're going to be here for a long this time. This is the tangential episode. Yes. <laughs> Another famous Roosevelt guest was four-time Academy Award nominee Montgomery Clift. Cliff stayed in room 928 for several months while preparing for his role as an army bugler in the 1953 classic From Here to Eternity. Clift, considered one of the most talented actors of his generation, was a sensitive spirit who battled demons including alcohol, drugs, a disfiguring car accident, and depression. Oh, I didn't know that about him. Guests who stayed in room 928 report the brooding spirit of Montgomery Cliff turns up the heat and switches on the radio to let guests know he's around. I just don't know how they know it's him. Yeah, that's... I mean, is it always in that room? Like, if you see Marilyn... Then yeah. I guess you're like, oh, okay. Oh, that's her. I know That's her, her in yeah. her mirror that she left behind. But mm-hmm. I don't... Um, and still angry about an unfulfilled life. The mournful sounds of the method actor playing a bugle are said to echo down the hallway. So okay, I guess maybe that's, that's the what tip it is. Off. Yeah, that would do it. 
Fans certainly loved Lucy, but how many would want to encounter the late comedian's apparition at her Hollywood studio? Oh my. I didn't know she was. See, that's another one. There are people like around today who worked with her, who knew her. Right. And like everybody and, knows who she is also. And knows who she is. So imagine you're somewhere and you're like, oh, that's, that's, that's Lucille Ball. Lucille hmm. Ball. There she is. Yeah. That's Lucy. crazy. Love ya. Lucille Ball, the redheaded sitcom star of I Love Lucy, was also owner of Desi Lu Studios, now part of Paramount, where the show was filmed. She also greenlit the original Star Trek. Thank you, Lucille. Yes, she was true. She's the reason we have Star Trek, and mm-hmm. I didn't even know that. Mm-hmm. I found that out. I guess she nobody wanted to hear what Roddenberry had to say, and she backed him or yep. something. Yeah, I've heard so, that. Good for um, her. I've heard people who met her. I guess she was very, like, she could be brash and rough around the edges, but I guess she was kind, like, yeah. a, like a decent human. That's always nice to hear. Studio guards claim to have seen her spirit restlessly walking the building's halls at night and to have smelled her distinctive flowery perfume. Mm. Chateau Marmont. West Hollywood is also the location of the Chateau Marmont at 8221 Sunset Boulevard. The hotel is famed for the alleged presence of an equally famous ghost, John Belushi. I've heard this actually. Yeah, that's another thing. Like his brother's still alive. People, yeah. his castmates are still alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and funnily enough, later on this list, Dan Aykroyd's house is mm, is on this list too. So, yeah. um, so he starred in Saturday Night Live, as we know, and mm-hmm. in classic comic cinema like Animal House. Mm-hmm. Tragically, the beloved Belushi died at the hotel's Bungalow Three of a drug overdose in 1982. Guests staying there now report feeling watched, particularly if they glance into the bathroom mirror. The mirrors. <sighs> They're killing me with the mirrors. The weird portalness of it. <laughs> I wonder if they are portals. What if I, I can get through one? Through the looking glass, baby. Okay. A couple with a young son were perturbed that the boy was talking to himself. The child said he was talking to the funny man. Hmm. Houdini's house. This story kind of cracks me up about Houdini. Houdini's ghost has been reported to haunt the grounds of a mansion where he lived for a year around 2400 Laurel Canyon Boulevard. The famed magician and escape artist died on Halloween Mm. on October 31st, 1926. Mm -hmm. The building burned down in 1959 and has never been rebuilt, but it has been used as a site for like spooky high school graduation parties or seances or people just have like events, like kind of occult themed events there. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because Houdini hated the occult, Yeah, didn't believe in any of it, and said mm-hmm. he could debunk it. But he did say once, tongue-in-cheek, I guess, said to his wife and some friends, that if there were an afterlife, he would come back to people and prove it. And, and yeah. To prove it. Yeah. So isn't that funny? What if... So what if it is, and what if it is him, and he's trying to make contact? Like, Guys, I, just, I was wrong. Hello? Listen, no, literally, it literally <laughs> is a thing. I'm, knock, knock, it's me. Hello. I wonder if you're a ghost, if maybe you're not able to just go anywhere you want. Seems like you can't just go wherever. No, it doesn't seem like you can. You're kind of stuck somehow. And I don't really, like, wouldn't everybody be going to cool places? Like, wouldn't all of, like, famous spots... I'll be like extra haunted, right? Like if you didn't get to travel when you were alive, wouldn't you just kind of like go around? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like you would think you would see a lot more people like. Mm-hmm. Like the Eiffel Tower would be spots. wicked haunted. And the Grand you know? Canyon. Yeah, oh, just, uh, it's so haunted. Yeah. You mustn't just be able to go anywhere you want. You must be tied to certain yeah. locations. I bet that's true. Because why would you just stick around? Mm. Even even if it's the house that you loved, why would you just stay around there forever? You wouldn't go anywhere else. Yeah. Like, I, you must you mustn't be able to. Yeah, I would guess. 
And as promised, um, this is the last story on the list, Dan Aykroyd's house. Mm -hmm. The former home of actor Dan Aykroyd on Woodrow Wilson Drive had also been home to a teenage Natalie Wood, Mm. singer Mama Cass Elliot, and former Beatle Ringo Starr. Wow. The house was not especially known for disturbances until the former Saturday Night Live star moved into it in the early 1980s. Wasn't his dad like a ghost hunter or something like that? Well, this story is why they wrote Ghost Hunters. Gosh, Ghostbusters? Ghostbusters. (laughs) Ghost Hunters, Ghostbusters. (laughs) It didn't take Aykroyd long to conclude that the house was haunted. Something was turning on his Stairmaster, playing the piano, and slamming doors. Aykroyd says one night he even felt someone or something crawl into bed with him. (gasps) And it wasn't his wife, actress Donna Dixon. Ew. He chalked it up to ghosts and believes at least one of them was the spirit of the home's former occupant, Elliot, of the folk pop group, The Mamas and the Puppas, who died of heart failure in 1974 at the age of 32. Oh. Instead of being unsettled by the paranormal activity, Aykroyd, who later moved out and sold the house, was inspired by it. The supernatural vibes gave him the idea to co-write with Harold Ramis the hit 1984 movie comedy, Ghostbusters. Hmm. At Will, Fa- uh, Will Smith told a story about when he bought his first house in mm-hmm. Hollywood. And I think it was Will Smith. And he was getting all settled in. This was a long time ago. I remember watching this. And he said that he went to sleep at night and he heard up on like the third floor. It, had, it used to be a ballroom. Mm-hmm. It had been. And he heard like the sounds of a party like from the 1920s. Like the That's music of that. crazy. And he went up and he was listening at the door and he could hear voices and glasses clinking and the music. And it sounded like people That's were like dancing. The Shining. That's nuts. Yeah. And That's... then he opened the door and the sounds all stopped. And there was nothing there. And he said, it's happened. He said, I said, oh, no. So, and he said it happened like every night he was there. So he was going to bring someone in to try yeah. to do something because he said, I can't have that going on. With a ghost ball going on? A ghost party. Oh my God. That's crazy. That is crazy. Wow. Those are nuts stories. So there's a lot more stories of mm-hmm. Hollywood. I had to I had to whittle it down. Yeah. Like yeah. all the other subjects would just be here all night, but there's a ton of haunted Hollywood. And so, oh, and I will give my sources, but there are actually quite a few books about it as well. Um, but I just took articles from Britannica.com, mm-hmm. Parade.com, and Forbes.com. So those were my... Cool. Well, thank you very much. That's very interesting. Again, leave. That's just... You know, you hear footsteps where there shouldn't be footsteps. These still seem like menacing ghosts, though. They seem all no. chill. However, like chill. I will still be getting out but of here. But they're still ghosts. Right. Like, like ha- mm, there's only one... Like, maybe not. But what about all the other stories with the menacing ghosts where the people are now dead? You know? I follow this girl on TikTok. I just adore her. And she loves Marilyn Mer- Monroe. And they actually managed to buy a house that Marilyn Monroe used to live in. And they wow. say that things happen. Like... I believe it. Freaky but. stuff. And then one day she came home and opened a closet and there were just these pair of like red sparkly high heeled shoes that didn't belong to her. That's really interesting. Wow. In That's her closet. Nice. So like, and she said, my husband and I were out together. It's not like he got me something, right. put him there. Yeah. No one else lives in the house. And I got home, I opened them and they're right front and center. That's either like cool ghost, terrifying stalker. Mm. Like one of those two things. You know yeah. what I mean? I guess you're rooting for the ghost. Yeah. I don't know. When, when I hope it's... I hope it's Marilyn. I hope it's a ghost who knows I like pretty shoes is right? your better option. 
Seriously, though. Yeah. I would love more information about, like, what, were they shoes from Marshalls? Like, were they vintage shoes? You know? I want to know more information about yeah, that. Yeah, they were vintage. She put a picture of them up, and they, they were vintage shoes. That's crazy. And, and not her size. Ooh, that's very interesting. So it's either a bad stalker or I wonder ghost. if they're Maryland size. Could be. Who's to say? Creepy. I find Hollywood fascinating. I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't really want to... No. But not even like Hollywood now. Right. I would love to... I always say if I had a time machine... I wouldn't want to be, like, interactive. I'd right. like to go and be, like, just invisible and just observe. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go and, you know. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. Be, but I would love to just go back and see mm-hmm. some of, like, the like the 20s, 30s, and 40s, like, the glamour mm-hmm. of the time. and, and yeah. What it was really like. That was, like, a golden age of technology. I would say, like, 40s to... 70s mm-hmm. up to the 80s. So you have all the technology that makes life livable, like mm. air conditioning, <clears throat> indoor plumbing, electricity, phones, mm-hmm. cars. You have all that. Eventually you get a microwave. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't have the, like, we're into the age of technology where it's getting a little bit concerning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you don't have that. Right. You don't have the replicating robots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, metaverse and. Mm-hmm. Yep. God knows what else. Capitalist nightmare. Um, yeah. Right. So. Right. Yeah. No, it's very interesting. It's a very interesting time, I think. So it's my stories. All right. Well, do you want to hear something really, really sad? No, thanks. Okay. You well, guys want to go get some cake? Yes. Okay. That was fun. <laughs> Let's just not do my half anymore. That's okay. fine with me. I will just listen to your stories, honestly, and be like, and then no one died. And then we can just I mean, go have cake. technically, in my story, everyone died. Everyone has already has died. Has already died? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yours is depressing in a different way. Yeah. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about the Ouija board murder. I know. I knew you would no, really no, like and that it's title. Funny though because I almost did Ouija board today, but then <gasps> it was going to be like a. I'm not going to lie; it was going to be a lot more work. <laughs> I wasn't up for it, so I said, "Well, we're going to table that." I was working on mm. it, and I'm like, "We're going to do it another time because I've yeah gone deep on a few." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this story, I think it's really interesting. But like, I did all my research right, and I like had written it out. It wasn't like a super in-depth story, whatever. I had sources like from this time, um, and then I clicked on like one more link, and I was like, "Oh, actually, everything is different from the way that I thought it was." Mm. So just keep that in mind that. Everything changed to like the, the ghost very last minute. The ghost did it. I'm not going to tell you yet if the ghost did it. So Henri Marchand was a French painter and sculptor who studied under Rodin, who you might know as a sculptor of The Thinker, mm-hmm. if you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Um, in the early 20th century, Henri married a woman named Clotilde Drouault. I'm sorry if I'm butchering, butchering that. It's a French name. I don't speak French. My bad. So Clotilde was actually also an artist. And together they lived in France. But after they got married, they emigrated to the United States. Henri, Big mistake. First mistake here. <laughs> Henri began working as a diorama artist for the New York State Museum while his wife gave up her career of being an artist for their growing family. Of course, Second mistake. I, I, you know, I want to be like, you know what? This was her choice. This is what she wanted to do. Is that true? No idea. Exactly. Yeah. 
Henri earned some recognition, particularly for his dioramas about the Iroquois, which was dedicated in 1918. So he was starting to get some kind of notoriety at this point. In 1925, the family moved to Buffalo, New York. And at this point, they had four children. And the couple's two oldest son, Paul and George, not of the Beatles. <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh. Their other kid's name were Henri and Henriette. Which I'm Ringo. like, I don't, why would you, both both of your youngest kids after your husband, like, I, that bothers me, but whatever. And also you have two Beatles in your family. Whatever, totally normal. So, like I said, Henri, along with their two oldest sons, Paul and George of the Beatles, were going to help their father construct dioramas for the Society of Natural Sciences, which would later be renamed the Buffalo Museum of Science. So... Just a little bit of background information. The Seneca Nation of Indians has two reservations near Buffalo, and the Marchands employed many Seneca people to model for them for their dioramas of the Iroquois. While the majority of the Marchands' work is no longer on display, some of it can still be seen in the museum's Marchand Hall of Wildflowers, which has a variety of wax models created by George and Paul over several decades. So they kept doing this for their entire career, making these three-dimensional dioramas, which I feel like is not really something... I don't know, I feel like dioramas are not really something you see that much anymore. I don't know if I just don't go to like history museums very much. I guess maybe like I science guess museums. All of this like natural history exhibits and stuff, those are all dioramas, but it's not yeah. like they're famous or like I know who did them. Right, exactly, exactly. And there's a lot more of the like interactive, you know what I mean? That kind of stuff I feel like is much more popular now. I'll tell you, that. when my kid was of the age where they had to do dioramas, oh, <laughs> God. I don't think I ever made a diorama. I did a couple times as a kid. Yeah. On March 6, 1930, a Seneca woman named Nancy Bowen knocked on the door of the Marchand's Riley Street home. Clotilde answered the door, and Nancy asked her if she was a witch. According to an article from the time, Clotilde apparently jestingly answered yes, and this turned out to be a terrible mistake. The Marchand's youngest son, Henri, came home from school to find a terrifying sight. His mother, Clotilde, was lying sprawled on the first floor landing. This is what he found. She was lying at the foot of the stairs beneath a heavy cabinet containing a radio loudspeaker. The corner of the room was spattered with blood. An electric floor lamp had been overturned. The remnants of a vase which had been standing on the cabinet were scattered about the floor. So pretty terrifying. Henri's only 12 years old at this time, so an awful thing to find. And because it's 1930, they don't have 911. They don't have anything like that. So he runs down the street to the science museum where his father was working, and the two return to the house and summoned a doctor from the nearby Deaconess Hospital. Because they're like, there's no way to get emergency services at this time, which is just like crazy to think that 911 is like a pretty recent invention, you know? Did not exist. Okay, so maybe time. they didn't have all the. They didn't have maybe all. Maybe it was the apex of <laughs> technology. Not quite, but yeah, I can see what you're saying. So first, it was believed that Clotilde had simply had an accident and fallen down the stairs. The doctor determined that she'd been dead for about two hours and discovered the truth. Clotilde had bloody gashes on her body and paper soaked with chloroform was stuffed in her throat. The police asked the Marchand's neighbors if they had noticed anything suspicious, and several told them that they had seen two Indian women casing the house earlier in the day, repeatedly walking up and down the block, which is like apparently very noticeable. Knowing Marchand's job in creating Iroquois dioramas, that's a difficult combination of <laughs> words to say in a row, Iroquois dioramas, they asked Henri if he knew any native women who might want to harm his wife. 
He pointed them to one of his models, a woman named Lila Jimerson, who was 35 years old. By 10 p.m., the police had arrested Lila, who soon led them to her friend Nancy Bowen, who was 66 years old. The next morning, the police arrested Nancy. Nancy immediately confessed to the crime. She apparently told police that she had originally tried Indian sorcery to kill Clotilde, but when that didn't work, she went to the Marchand's house and killed Clotilde herself. Which I just want to remind you, um, Nancy doesn't speak English very well. She mostly speaks Seneca. So we're getting all this information from the police, but it's hard to say, like, did they have a translator helping? I'm not really Mm -hmm. sure about that. So apparently on that day, Lila brought Nancy to the Marchand Street and pointed out the house to her. Then she walked to a nearby phone booth and called Henri at the museum to ask him to take her for a ride in his car. They drove around Buffalo from about 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. when Henri dropped Lila off to supposedly meet her friend. And while Lila was in Henri's car, Nancy walked up to the Marchand's door and knocked. Clotilde apparently recognized that Nancy was a friend of Lila's and she let her in the house. So apparently it seems like Clotilde knew um, the people that her husband was using as models and kind of who their friends were as well, I guess. Nancy asked Clotilde if she was a witch and when she apparently answered yes, which whether or not that was a joke, we're probably never going to know. And since Nancy didn't speak English very well, it's hard to say. That made Nancy pull out a 10 cent hammer that she just purchased and hidden in her bag. She hit Clotilde over the head and continued to beat her, though Clotilde struggled. To make sure the job was done, Nancy wadded up some paper and doused it in chloroform, which her friend Lila had purchased for her, and stuck it into Clotilde's mouth, which is just really, really awful. At about 3.30 p.m., the two women met on Jefferson Street and returned back to the reservation. Soon enough, young Henri would get home from school to discover his mother's body. So all around, very, very sad story, very weird turn of events. So let's go back in time a little bit. About a year before the murder of Clotilde Marchand, Nancy's husband, Charlie, had passed away. Charlie was apparently known as Sassafras Charlie since he sold Sassafras roots, Sassafras? (laughs) Um, So he sold Sassafras roots in the spring in Buffalo and in the summer, he and his wife sold wildflowers and the two also practiced traditional medicine um, for the Seneca Nation. Supposedly to help her friend, Lila decided to consult a Ouija board with Nancy in the fall of 1929. Once in touch with Charlie in the afterlife, he told the women, they killed me. When they asked who, the board spelled out Clotilde. Then conveniently, the board spelled out the Marchand's full address on Riley Street in Buffalo, which mm-hmm. seems like a lot of specific that information. Seems a lot of work for the Ouija board. For the Ouija board, that's a lot of... <laughs> You know, with the little planchette, you know what I mean? That seems like a lot of a lot of effort. Feeling cute might kill Clotilde later. <laughs> IDK. Might delete. Um, <laughs> so Lila told Nancy that, strangely enough, she knew of a woman named Clotilde, which seems like a pretty I have literally never no, it's not a seen it before. Name. I also have mispronounced it sixteen times already today, so my apologies. Um, But like I said, she knew someone with that name, and she was the wife of Henri Marchand, the man that she modeled for. After the Ouija board session, Nancy began receiving mysterious letters signed only Mrs. Dooley. The letters filled in the details that the Ouija board couldn't. Clotilde, they said, was a white witch who used her powers to kill Cayuga and Seneca people and had tried to hex Charlie. One letter said her witchcraft didn't work so good, so she decided to kill him. 
Yeah, so these are the letters that Nancy's getting. When she's, like, deeply grieving for her husband, she's finding out that there's some witch that is the one who killed him. Mm -hmm. So... The letters actually were enough to convince Nancy that the mysterious Mrs. Dooley was telling the truth. It probably helped that Mrs. Dooley claimed that Nancy would be next. (laughs) So Lila and Nancy came up with a plan to stop the evil witch Clotilde from being able to hex or kill Nancy like she had done to Charlie. The trial began very quickly after Clotilde's death. It started just 17 days later, the, ca- the fastest of any capital case in Buffalo, which like now that I feel like trials take forever before they start. Like that's less than three weeks seems kind of insane. This happened so quickly in part because of the district attorney, Guy Moore, who did everything he could to sensationalize the trial. The murder was called the scandal of the century, and he emphasized that this was a trial for an Indian crime. So unsurprisingly, race is coming into play mm-hmm. very quickly in this story. He also announced that he was going to seek the death penalty for both women. And apparently that actually made it really hard to find a jury because most people in the jury said that they wouldn't vote for the death penalty for a woman, which is kind of interesting that at Mm -hmm. this time they were like, well, yeah, you can put men in the electric chair, but not ladies. I mean, I'm racist, but I'm also sexist. Right, exactly. And balancing those two out is really tough for me, you know? The police were ruthless in searching the reservation for evidence against the two women. They rigorously searched for the murder weapon, Nancy's hammer, which she claimed to have thrown in the river near Lila's house. When they couldn't find it, they used it as an excuse for dozens of Buffalo police to search the entire reservation. Seneca Chief Ray Jimerson tried to push against this and claimed that the police were trespassing on Seneca land, but unsurprisingly, he was not successful. For nine days, the police gave a lot of deference to Henri Marchand, But that eventually changed when a series of love letters between him and Lila were discovered and printed in the Buffalo Times. Here we go. Yeah, it's all coming out now. Yep. Even though the police had done, like, all of this searching, they had never found the letters for some reason. Um, And Lila's family had actually been the ones that gave the letters to the press, not the police, which is kind of interesting. He was then jailed as a material witness in default of a $25,000 bond, which today is like $414,000. I don't know. I thought that that was really weird, too, but apparently so because they did it. I wonder if maybe you can't do it now. Maybe. Yeah, that's possible because I was kind of surprised by that as well. I mean, because you could do a lot of things in 1930 that you can't do now. You sure could. Yeah, and like, that's a lot of money. And also, this is 1930, so that was like... I assume it would be really difficult for anybody to pay that amount of money during the very beginning of the Great Depression, you know? The prosecution argued that Lila had convinced Nancy to kill Clotilde so that she could have Henri for herself. Henri confessed immediately to Lila being one of his lovers, though he didn't actually love her, is what he said. He told the courtroom that he had had too many lovers to count, because he's such a great fucking dude. Many of his lovers had been Indian women, And he told them that taking these women as lovers was actually a professional necessity since it made them more likely to pose nude for his diorama (laughs) modeling. Yeah, he said, they didn't want to get nude and I need the accuracy of Native American boobs to be able to appropriately model. You know what else would encourage them to model for you? Hmm. Paying them. That, you know what? That's a really interesting point. Paying them money. instead, instead, (laughs) I'm going to have sex with them all. He took he took one for the team and he did had sex with them instead. That's exactly it. Yeah, and he also told the court that his wife consented to his free love lifestyle, um, but she's dead. So it's really hard to say <laughs> whether or not that's true. <laughs> 
Apparently the press and everyone in the courtroom really thought that this statement was arrogant and it was. I mean, I don't yeah. know how, nobody liked that he said that. Doesn't seem yeah. like he's a super beloved guy by this courtroom. So the Seneca Nation fought really hard to prevent Nancy and Lila from being unfairly treated, which you can imagine would be very difficult. Yeah. Even now, honestly, but especially this time. Nancy spoke her testimony in Seneca, and Seneca Nation ensured that she had an interpreter that would actually fairly translate what it was that she was saying, which is, I mean, Mm -hmm. very important, right? She gave a lot of information about the three letters she'd received from Mrs. Dooley, which had been postmarked from both Buffalo and from Cleveland. Here's a quote from one of them. I know something secret. I decided that I'd better tell you and help you out what I can. This is what I know. Charlie Bowen is killed by a witch in this city of Buffalo. It was from a French woman. She killed Charlie because he have good medicine to sell in the city. Her witchcraft didn't work so good, so she decided to kill him. She killed many, many that way, Indians and white. But let me tell you more. She said she fixed another doll the same. This doll is his wife, Nancy. So this is where Nancy's getting the idea that not only did she kill her husband, but she's coming for Nancy next. Interestingly, a handwriting expert testified that the handwriting on these letters did not match Lila's handwriting, which I feel like everything that I read, which was articles from this time, all were saying basically Lila gaslit Nancy into believing that Clotilde had murdered her husband, but the handwriting doesn't match. So there must be another party here Mm -hmm. that's involved, especially since these letters are being postmarked both from Buffalo and from Cleveland. Mm. I don't think that Lila would have had the resources to be able to get something technically postmarked from Cleveland, you know? So that was like, when I read that, I was like, wait, hold on. (laughs) This totally changes everything. So at the end of the trial, Lila actually collapsed in court from a lung hemorrhage. This is the very last day. What? Yeah. Yeah. She was taken to the hospital and the judge declared a mistrial. So they're going to have to go through all of this again because Lila's in the hospital now where she's not going to be able to come back to court right away. And when she was in the hospital, she didn't want to face another trial. So she confessed to secondary murder because she just didn't want to have to deal with doing this all again. She's really sad. <laughs> yeah. She's like, no, I can't. This is literally too much. Obviously, she has a fucking lung hemorrhage. Can't blame her. Just two weeks later, the state was ready to try Nancy again, who had not pleaded guilty like Lila had. Seneca's and Cayuga's, who had not testified in the original trial, decided to come to the retrial to tell what they knew and to try to help Nancy, which was like they had to go really, really like this was not an easy thing for them. Um, One of the articles that I read said they would have to get up at like four o'clock in the morning and then walk like five miles to be able to get to the trolley because the reservation is 25 miles away from Buffalo itself. So... Yeah, this is like a serious thing that they're willing to do this to help out Lila and Nancy. So strengthened by the support of her people, Lila decided to withdraw her earlier plea and stand trial again. Lila was retried separately in March of 1931, so a full year later that she's waiting kind of in this. She testified that she had had an affair with Henri, but that she hadn't tried to kill Clotilde or induce Nancy to do it. She actually implicated Henri in the murder. She told the courtroom that Henri had actually tried to hire several Iroquois people to kill his wife as he had become tired of her. Which, I mean, if maybe she wasn't so cool with his free love lifestyle, you know what I mean? (laughs) I don't think that that's that outrageous of an idea. At this point, Henri was not called to testify because he had moved to Albany with his new wife, who was 18 years old, and Clotilde's, Clotilde's niece, uh-huh. which is fucking gross and that weird. That is gross. Blah, uh, 
that's so, like even though it's probably not his biological like it isn't his biological yeah, niece. The point. They've Just been married for being, longer than 18 years. Her being 18 is gross. Right. And then your wife, who was just murdered's niece also. Horrifying. Very gross. Hate it so much. The jury deliberated for just one evening, and Lila was acquitted. A week later, Nancy pled guilty to second-degree manslaughter and was sentenced to time served. The two women were finally able to return to their home. After the death of his wife, Henri left his position at the Society of Natural Sciences, but he continued to create dioramas as part of the Marchand Diorama Corporation and had several people working under him. He was never tried for Clotilde's death, so it seems, although it seems that the jury at Lila's retrial strongly believed that he was involved. So this is really interesting because I found all these sources originally, right? And then I found this book that had one specific section that it was about this. And this is called famously like the Ouija board murder. Mm -hmm. This book did not mention the Ouija board at all. So I don't know if this is something that was made up, if this was something that they kind of fed to Nancy to make it seem like Lila had pushed her into doing this. Yeah. Or if like they took what had happened with the letters. Nancy was just hired. I don't know. Some people think that maybe um, Henri paid them to be, you know, take the blame for the murder of his wife or what had happened. It's such a bizarre story that like all of these sources from the time and some of them from now that are all kind of the white people side of it all mention the Ouija word. And then this other source that I found didn't mention it all. Mm. It's really, really interesting. So I want to read this quote from that book, which is called um, Spellbound, let me see, Spellbound Women and Witchcraft in America by Elizabeth Rice, which is really interesting. It's kind of a collection of essays about all these different things, which is cool. Here's the quote. The core of the story is a murder trial, so it is not inappropriate to end with the query, who killed Clotilde Marchand? The Iroquois version never changed. White people did. Chief Ricard accepted the suggestion that Marchand and a friend had done the killing and had paid Lila Jimerson to take the blame. Another scenario that was circulated at the time of the trials is that Nancy and Lila killed Clotilde, but that Henri manipulated their belief system into a murder weapon. His knowledge of Iroquois society, his assistant Burmeister's expertise in witchcraft, and his friendship with the most traditional Iroquois people would supposedly have enabled him to set up the tragic chain of events. If this speculation is accurate, then Marchand's reaction upon hearing that Lila had been acquitted is the ultimate insult. He said, it was a terrible injustice. Which, like, yeah, if you're the dickhead who actually did it, like, that's a really shitty thing to say. I think it's just a really interesting story that, like, all of these things that I read kind of all pointed at one thing and made it seem like Lila just wanted to have Henri for herself and just manipulated her friend into doing this. And Henri basically told her to fuck off. Yeah. But then you read this one other thing and it seems like they were pretty innocent. Maybe Nancy did or didn't do it, but it's a really crazy story. But that's the Ouija board murder, which is not what I thought it was going to be. No. (laughs) Very different. Yeah. That's such a weird story. I like them when they take place a long time ago because it makes me feel like, you know. Yeah. It's not just... Something looming around the corner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We went yeah. vintage today, though. We, we did. We both back. did. Yeah, that's very interesting. <laughs> oh, so okay, cool. We're gonna go have something good. I don't know what we're having. I it's a surprise today. Papa didn't tell me. I'm but. totally fine with surprise dessert. I have no problems with that whatsoever. We already had our yummy 
lunch, mm-hmm. dinner, whatever it is. I don't know. I, I'm not in charge of that. No. The dogs weren't too bad today. No, they only barked like six times. <laughs> but, Usually but it's like 45. That's actually, and not only six times, but not that long. They bark yeah. about 45 times and it goes on forever. Mm-hmm. And they also try to break into the studio. Mm-hmm. Every and time. And occasionally actually break into the studio. Sometimes they do <laughs> succeed so, at breaking into the studio. So we didn't have too much of that. No. So no, that's a success. They're slowly getting better, perhaps. Fingers crossed, maybe. And they haven't attempted to murder our editor with their dander today. No, that's. I would say that's really good. We like it when Courtney's yeah, still alive at the end that. of the recording. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty good. Calling it a win. Putting it in yeah. the W column. Yes, we are. All right, guys. Well, we're going to get something good to eat. Yeah. We'll see you next week. If you enjoyed this episode and want to be part of the conversation, join our social media community on Facebook and Instagram at Cul-de-Sac Insomniac, Twitter at CDSI Pod. If you have a story you'd like us to cover or an experience of your own you'd like us to feature on the podcast, let us know at Cul-de-Sac Insomniac at gmail.com. If you follow us on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and a good review. Say something nice about us. It makes us feel good. It helps with the algorithm. And you can go to our website at culdesacinsomniac.com where you can read our show notes and listen to the podcast. And you can sign up for our newsletter. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.